I'm Mike Vardy. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I am your host, Mike Vardy. And with me on the show today, we have a fellow Canadian, Corey Poirier, is on the show today. He's an award-winning keynote speaker, host of the top-rated Conversations with Passion radio show. And he's been featured in one-hour television specials on Eastlink TV and Teletelevision. And he's a columnist with Entrepreneur Magazine. He's interviewed over 4,000 super achievers, so we're putting him on the other side of the microphone for this discussion. We also talk a little bit about how he got his start before he dove into what he's doing now, and it might sound a bit familiar to maybe how someone else kind of got into what they're doing now. Anyways, as they say, the path to success is not necessarily a straight line, and Corey's definitely uh, further evidence of that. We're going to get right into that interview right now. Here's my discussion with Corey Poria here on the Productivityist podcast. I'd like to welcome Corey Poirier to the Productivityist podcast. Corey, thanks for joining me today. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Really excited to be on board. So, Corey, you are no stranger to being in an interview setting, but you're normally on the other side of the microphone, right? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, it's funny because I would say that uh, I've done a lot of media on this side of the microphone, but it probably numbers wise, it still be a long time before I ever catch the other side. So, so, so basically what, what we're, we're going to talk about today is just the idea of, um, I'm a speaker. Uh, I do, I do quite a bit of speaking, not as much as you do, but I, I, I do my fair share. And uh, I want to talk about the power of, of speaking and what that can do in terms of, you know, delivering, um, and, and delivering enough like the knowledge, insights, wisdom, things like that. And I mean, wisdom is probably not the best word, but getting, getting to the point where it pushes people and propels them to action. What, first off, what brought you to the world of speaking? Because I think the journey uh, to, to that is different for every single person that ends up taking the stage to speak. Yeah, interestingly enough, I would I'd maybe be able to make the argument that my journey was as unique as you can possibly get in the sense that it definitely isn't the traditional, I'm going to say, introduction. So what happened for me is that I had only spoken in front of an audience like less than a handful of times until 2002. And previous to that time, I was in sales, so I actually had a lot of experience speaking, obviously, one-on-one and sometimes one-on-two or three in a meeting type setting, but it was very limited. And I had a small business 
when I was 19 and I got invited to speak on difficulties young entrepreneurs face, but I, I essentially delivered, but I turned different colors. I don't remember a word I said, and people came up afterwards and said, loved your talk. You were so passionate. And I said, well, what did you like about the talk? You know, what'd you take away? And they said, I don't even know some, when you're up there, I wasn't even sure what you're saying. You were going in so many different directions, but you were passionate. And I liked that. And it inspired me. So it was, you know, it was an eye opener, but I also was still so terrified of it that I just kind of left it be where it was. And so here's where the journey for me was kind of a unique one is in 2002, I was invited to try my hand at stand up comedy. I went through a workshop and um, third week of the workshop, we were invited to a comedy club. The idea is we were going to watch people uh, perform stand up in front of us. And we found out literally five minutes to show time that we were actually the comics. So the guy kind of set us up. And so we, uh, 15 were there, eight disappeared, like literally walked at the front mm-hmm. door of the seven left. I made the foolish mistake or maybe wise mistake to go up first. Cause I had been to a Toastmasters meeting one in my life. And I learned that if you're going to face a fear, you should go up first, especially if you're like speaking. So I jumped up on the stage while the other comics were literally still debating who's going to go up first and then grabbed the mic, told my first joke, told my second joke, joke only to find out that the mic wasn't actually turned on. Oh, so <laughs> I was obviously greeted with a lot of silence. And that was kind of my, I'm going to say, forced way uh, into the world of speaking because I, I actually performed that night once we figured out the mic wasn't turned on. And then I kept going back week after week. And ultimately I ended up performing over nine years. I performed 700 shows, but in the early stages of that, probably in the first year, I realized pretty quickly there were parts of comedy I loved and there were parts I really didn't care for so much. And all of a sudden I saw Tony Robbins again after seeing him years earlier and went, is this possible that this guy is getting paid to do this? You know, can you earn a living at this? Cause I always thought he was just doing it. He used to have the infomercials on TV and I thought he was just doing it to sell his product. I didn't even think he got paid ever to speak. I just thought it was the product that made the money for him. And so once I discovered that and realized it had all of the things I liked about comedy and pretty well, none of the ones that I didn't, I started dabbling in and made the transition over to first training. And then I evolved the two. So this, the comedy and the training I found in the middle was speaking and I evolved into the speaking side. But why I said it was such a unique journey is almost any keynote speaker I've chatted with and we're talking thousands. I've just shared the bill with alone. I haven't run into one yet that started being a business person, but found their way into speaking through comedy through stand up. You, you found, you found the first just now. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, that I actually started and, and listeners of the podcast know that my background was comedy, doing sketch and stand up and things like that. And my goal was to try to um and eventually what happened was is I was trying to be more productive and I started this productivity parody site. I was satirizing. I was trying to do like a Stephen Colbert version of it. And um what happened was is by taking that comedic spin to productivity, it ended up getting me to the point where I was actually able to speak about it legitimately because when you want to satirize something and you know there's i mean there's that old saying there's truth in comedy right so so i ended up uh finding my way back to the stage speaking um trying to make time management and productivity entertaining 
So it's interesting because as you're telling the story, I'm like, this is it's it's familiar. You did way more stand up gigs than I ever did. Um, you know, I didn't do that many. Um, I did a lot of comedy performances like sketch and, and improv, but not 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 as many uh, stand up performances. But I think l- let me ask you the two things I can tell you. There's two things about the comedy life that I did not enjoy. Number one was the being w- was the road life, you know, the ro- like going on the road and traveling. And number two was the the uh, remuneration, the pay that you would receive. Uh, I can't tell you how many times that it was like, you know, um, th- when I would do it, it's like nachos and beer, nachos and beer, like, you know, or, or, or pass the hat kind of thing, or, or, you know, a small pittance. Was that, was that some of the things that pushed you away from it as well? Well, and, you know, and I should mention too, just while I'm thinking of it, but I'll, I'll answer that question in two sure. seconds. Um, but while I'm thinking of it, there was one other person I knew that sort of didn't follow the same path, but at least started with stand up. And, uh, we've interviewed him. I interviewed him not on the show, but in when we used to have a business publication, his name is, I'm going to pronounce, pronounce as best I can, but Darren Lacroix. Uh-huh. And he was a world champion Toastmaster. And then he uh, started performing stand-up comedy in Vegas. I don't think he performed many shows. Like I want to say, if I was guessing, probably less, well, less than 50, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then, then he launched uh, teaching other people how to speak speaking program. So I don't, I mean, I don't even know how many corporate talks he did before he actually started teaching people how to speak. But of course he had that unique positioning of being the world champion of Toastmasters for a specific year after beating out 25,000 other people. Wow. So, but I don't know if, you know, if I don't know if you could say he started the, the standup journey because he actually did the Toastmasters thing first. Anyway, so that was, you know, if I'm being full disclosure, he's the only person I know that was close to us in terms of that sort of journey. Uh, in terms of what I didn't like, about standup, the the pay was one thing, but near, I won't say near the end of my comedy, but during the journey, I found a way to get a, not, not anywhere near the speaking level of pay, but more pay than I was getting, mm-hmm. which was to produce my own shows. Right. And if I could convince bars, like, so instead of the comedy club, which the pay was, like you said, kind of a pittance, um, if I could convince a comedy club that they should have a show once a week, that where they bring in comedy and almost just like a, being a live act, I became almost their host for a comedy show. Then I could actually get paid quite well or, you know, for comedy mm-hmm. <laughs> paid comparable to a music gig, let's say yeah. at a, a local club. So, but the pay was still definitely one of them. If I compared the two, uh, another big one though, was the, it's kind of, it's the thing that I didn't like. And at the same time, it's probably what kept me coming back, which is so strange, but it was the, the difference between obviously a corporate speaking gig uh, where the audience is rooting for you to succeed versus a comedy club gig where alcohol is involved. And, you know, if you succeed, that's great. But if you fail, that's still a good show to them. You know, mm-hmm. it's still like a, it's still almost like a make me laugh monkey boy. And if you don't, I'll ruin your show. Yeah. And, and, and every audience is different too, right? No matter where you are, like one club will be different than another. Yeah. That, that also plays into it. Yeah. So that was probably the the big thing was the, you know, the unknown, which I kind of relish and probably drove me to do it, but was also the same reason I didn't want to do it full time for the rest of my life. Right. It's just that I want I mean, I want it. I guess you had, you hit the nail on the head earlier. I wanted to be able to impact people in a positive way. And there's one aspect of comedy where, yeah, you're giving people an escape from their day. If you get them laughing, you know, you're maybe taking away the band of their day and stuff like that. But you're probably not going to be able to move them into action in a way that can transform their life on a regular basis. And speaking offers that. So I didn't like that comedy was limited in what the potential was, I guess. 
Right. And and that's the very reason why I probably won't go back to it. I like to throw humor into my talks, but I definitely don't can't see myself going back and doing stand up uh, any anytime soon, if if ever. So you made the transition. And what was the um, so what was when, when you started to make the transition, you started to really dive into to the, this passion component, right? Like how 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 you can fuel passion. And, and I'd like to dive into like that motivation and what, what propelled you in that direction, what the, what the feedback you've received after shifting to, to that, to that, you know, the, the life of a speaker, what, why is passion such a, such a critical component in your work and, and how do you kind of dive deep into it and and continue to dive deep into it? I feel probably, I guess, as far as the, the reason for the transition is that people, kept coming to me and saying, well, first of all, I guess it it ties into how I found my passion. Mm -hmm. And so when I was, I guess, probably only, well, I guess probably mid twenties, I, I'm going to say that I, I I liked my job. I didn't love it, but I liked it. And so the passion side is, um, you know, I wasn't living my passion. And so all of a sudden what happened was that, you know, for me, I guess I was 25 ish and I started performing stand up. So I'm going back to the stand up for a sec. And then all of a sudden I discovered the speaking thing that was my passion. So people saw a change in me. And when they saw that change in me, they started asking how. Mm-hmm. So that was the real reason behind it. Right. And, uh, and so essentially what happened was that I found this, this, this passion for myself. And people started saying at work, you know, what happened with you? There seems to be a jump in your step. You seem to have found what you love and a love for what you do. And how did that happen? And how did you get there? So I decided that I wanted to start teaching people and showing people that because I realized that there were a lot of people. I mean, I've heard numbers like only 5% will ever find their passion in their whole life, Mm -hmm. which is really sad. But when you hear that, then it makes you, you know, it makes you sad that that's the case, but you want to help people find their passion. So I started getting a lot of people saying, tell me how. And so that's how it tied in, because once you hear people saying almost like a customer says, you know, we need more of this or can you offer us this? When you hear it enough times, eventually you go, maybe this is there's something here. Maybe there's a reason people keep asking me about that. So that's where the passion came from, is that I discovered it midway through, I guess, half of my first half of my life. And a lot of people are in the same situation. They're saying, well, I'm this age and I still haven't found it. You're somebody else who didn't find it right away or wasn't born with it. Teach me how. So that's sort of a long answer, but that was really how it all started. What's one of the things that people overlook when they're trying to find their passion? They get kind of stuck in the weeds and they, they like it's maybe a rather unconventional way that you can help them find and foster their passion. So, I mean, I take people through an exercise and really what it comes down to is getting people ask themselves, you know, what is it that that you would continue to do that, you know, what is it that you do as a pastime or part time and and you would continue to do if you basically, you know, won the lottery or or money was an issue for whatever reason. What is that thing you continue to do? So I get them to start, you know, thinking and writing down what are those things? What are what is the thing that you think you'd be good at doing? even if you haven't tried it yet. What is the thing that when you've done it in the past or you think about doing it, time sort of stands still, you don't watch the clock. And so if you start asking yourself questions like that, or you know, what is it when you were a child you did when money wasn't an issue? What is it that you maybe did whenever you were on the path 
that you felt you should be on. And then somebody said, no, you can't do that. You can't go be, you can't go to clown college or speaking earlier, we were talking about sketch or whatever. You can't go to second city or Humber college. you got to get a real job. You know, so if you go to that intersection of where people pushed you off your path, you'll probably find some hints towards your passion. So to, to answer your question in, in, that, in a short answer, that's really it. I get people to go through an exercise where they're asking themselves those type of questions, putting down the answer and building a list. And then to look at that list and say, now, what are the ones you can't live without? What are the ones that you would, you know, you just, if you had them, it didn't have them in your life, it would really bother you. Or if you're not doing it already, what are the ones that you could bring into your life and you think it would make the difference? And then the, the secondary part is now, which ones are inside your comfort zones? Which ones are out? The ones that are inside your comfort zone, of course, you can take that step right now. The ones that are outside your comfort zone then maybe that takes a little more practice. Maybe that's the ones where you have to actually put some steps in place and take those baby steps. So, you know, you and I were talking stand-up. Well, not everybody's going to jump on the stand-up stage without taking some baby steps, like maybe trying Toastmasters first or going to a comedy club and watching or asking questions of comics. So, I, I mean, that was sort of a, another long answer, Mike, but I hope that um, helps kind of tell you how I sort of start guiding people at least to thinking about what my passion could be. Right. No, definitely, definitely. So uh, I want to talk about the idea of people's fears, especially when it relates to communicating. And let's talk about public speaking in general. It's, you know, been widely, you know, uh, reported that the number one fear people have is, is fear of speaking in public. It's more feared than death. So how do you help somebody who um, is trying to convey a message, um, whether it's their passion or whether it's just a, a message that they want to deliver? Uh, either to a large group or just amongst, you know, a, a small group of colleagues and get more comfortable with that. Do you have uh, some, some, I know you've got a TED talk about crushing your fears and expanding your comfort zone. And we'll definitely link to that in the show notes, but I want to get a sense of how you can help people move past that fear of speaking and move more towards a, a, a relationship of comfort uh, with, with that idea. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, I mean, I would say there's a couple of different uh, paths in terms of, taking action, as you know, from, you know, your time in sketch and, and being on a stage. I mean, there's nothing quite like getting out there and doing it. So speaking is not one of those things where it's just as simple as, you know, here are some methods for getting on a stage in practicality and then good luck. I mean, it's one of those things where you actually have to eventually get on a stage. So there's nothing like stage time. So, I mean, what I would say there is whether, you know, it's a program like ours where we walk you through or whether it's something like Toastmasters, which I mentioned earlier, which is as affordable as you're ever going to get. Uh, whether it's something like Dale Carnegie, which is maybe a little more money, but a little more, you know, well, let's say inclusive and intensive. But my answer, I'm going to I'm going to explain that in more detail. But my answer is, first and foremost, you need to get some stage time. So whether, like I say, that's a Toastmasters and you get there in front of a group of say eight people or 10 people that you get to witness some people for the very first time, just introducing themselves for two minutes. And that could be tough for them. And you're sitting there as a guest and you don't do anything yet, but maybe by the third week you actually decide to introduce yourself and you, you kind of baby step your way in. I, I, you know, I think people need to be doing that while they're learning the rest. So then to answer the second question, you know, how do you, how does a person get into it? I think, and feel that the biggest fear for most people is the unknown. So even more than the fear of the failure, it's that I don't know what's going to happen. So when you think about stand-up, my fear was what's going to happen when I get on that stage. And I realized that, you know, the mic's not going to come on, whatever it might be, but you, you have a fear of the what if, what could happen. And so you start then basically perceiving all the what ifs. So 
what I what I take people through is, first of all, they need to get the comfort on the stage, as I mentioned. And that could be actually also uh, we have a thing set up so that when we do our speaking program Q&A's and um, people record videos. And so we get them to submit those things. And the Q&A, it's like everybody in the program gets to be on calls, a call with each other. And, you know, they're articulating and speaking. And some of them will tell me that was their first time ever speaking in front of somebody. Then we'll bring them onto our show. You mentioned our show earlier. And that for some people, like my first time on a radio show, I was covered in sweat, even though nobody could see me. And so what I'm getting out of all this, and it relates back to my talk you mentioned, is you need to take baby steps. I think for most people, if you're starting with feeling this fear is greater than death, you know, so Jerry Seinfeld's made the joke that means if you're at a funeral in relation to public speaking, you'd rather be in the casket than having to do the eulogy. So if that's the case for most people, then you need to baby step your way and you're not going to be able to just do what I did and fall onto the stage and then hope for the best. And so you have to figure out what are those baby steps. So what in our program, we take them through, like I said, getting to, to be on a speaking Q&A where they're actually talking to other people. And, you know, now with Facebook Live, taking through something like that. So these are almost, for some people, these are like speaking moments where it would happen to walk on the stage. And that will encourage them to find a local Rotary or Toastmaster and sort of cut their teeth there as well. But it really comes down to doing it in small scale and baby steps and not expecting that you're going to jump in head first. And so that's one side, because if you, and you probably know this, especially on the productivity side, if you carve your, whatever that goal is into smaller chunks, and then you, you list them as baby steps or baby goals, and then you reward yourself after you take each one, you're going to start to gain confidence that you can do the big one, which in this case, what we're talking about is being on the stage in front of a large audience. So if you can do them, like get in a Toastmasters group and do a talk in front of, three people, and it's only your introduction, which lasts two minutes, and then you reward yourself afterward, that's going to give you the confidence to take the next step. And it's not going to seem like such a big step if you've taken 10 baby steps to reach that big one rather than trying to take one big giant step. So first of all, I'd say take baby steps. Uh, then I would say don't try to necessarily do it alone. Use a buddy system if you have to. So just like people working out, they have a better chance of being successful, getting to the gym and doing workouts if they're with a buddy. Find a buddy that wants to conquer a fear of speaking and actually go with them and have an accountability partner. Maybe you go to Toastmasters together. Maybe uh, you're in our program, you do a Facebook Live together. So basically get that confidence for somebody else that you know that you're not going to fall alone like you have to in a stand-up comedy setting where it's just you and a mic. Mm -hmm. You're not going to fall alone. You actually have somebody to help support you. So those would be the, the kind of the two things I would say to help a person ease their way in because if it is a big fear, and their number one fear, they're not probably going to be able to jump right in cold and conquer it first thing. And, you know, I think the advice you're offering doesn't just hold true for public speaking. It's for really anything, like you said, productivity, you break it down to smaller steps and then you have somebody that you, you kind of involve somebody. Um, you know, you have an accountability partner, someone that you can lean in and, and, and talk to. I think that that applies to more than just speaking as well, which is great. Now, let's talk about your program really quickly, because you mentioned your program. And I'm sure my, my listeners are interested in hearing a little bit about that, especially those that are interested in becoming speakers or just wanting to explore and go down that path a little bit. Can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And as you know, from being in the speaking field, there's so much to it. And that's why, you know, I'm even careful when I'm, I'm sort of giving the advice on, let's say, how to conquer the fear, because it's such a big thing. And there's so many little elements that can go into it. And so those little nuances, those little things that most people maybe don't learn when they launch a speaking career on their own for years and years, what we're trying to do is teach them that right from the jump, maybe help 
them avoid a lot of the bad habits that even I took on when I first started. Uh, so how we structured it is it's a 90 day program. And it's essentially what we do is once a week, we release uh, a video training. And so the first month is dedicated to, a, a, let's say, a theme. And that theme is the process. So it's basically how do you launch as a speaker and have a process that helps you launch. The secondary part is the promotion and positioning. So how do you actually position yourself? both as a speaker and as an expert in your field. And then the third part is profit. How do you actually earn some money from this business? And so that's how we break it down. But outside of that, within our, our actual, um, we have a social uh, social media community. So on Facebook, we also have the, the actual website portal. And on the website portal, in addition to the weekly video training, what we also do is we actually have, uh, we have 12 this last time around, we had 12 experts, and we're talking everybody from uh, Tom Ziegler, so the son of Zig Ziegler. They have their own speaking program. Well, we have Tom sharing what he's learned over the years, helping facilitate the Ziegler speaking program. Uh, we have Judy Carter talking about comedy. She wrote the Comedy Bible, mm -hmm. which is the book that you know Oprah brought her on the show, talking about how do you deliver with humor. So we have Judy revealing how to deliver with humor. We have uh, an Olympic gold medalist talking about how she wanted to be a speaker who would just happen to have gold medals instead of being a gold medalist who actually gets paid to show up just because she has gold medals and you know how hard that was for her to make that transition. So we have these experts that are sharing weekly as well. And then in addition to that, to make it a little more immersive, we have homework at each stage. And we have uh, one of the things I love too, is like we have one tonight, a speaking program Q and a. So this is where we have people on a call and they're going to essentially ask questions about here's what I've run into since the last time. Here's what I want help with. And what's really cool is other people in the program sometimes will actually offer their insights because they have maybe a unique perspective. It's not just a Q&A with me. It's actually a Q&A with all of us. Mm. And so we have that component. And so it's, it's really just we're keeping adding stuff that we feel as a speaker, you need this part of your journey and you need help in this area. And here's a new thing that just came up. So let's incorporate it in. And the new question I'm getting by everybody is how do I get a TED talk? So, of course, that's a new part of the program this upcoming time is putting in, you know, what does it take to deliver a TED talk? How do you actually even get one? Uh, you know, what is what's involved in it? What's the feeling of delivering one? Well, how can you position it later on to help your career? So it's all that kind of stuff. So basically it's, I, I look at it like it's a speaking program 101 that teaches you how to do everything from the very first day you decide I want to get into the speaking business to now I'm on the speaking circuit, but I'm not getting paid what I'm worth. So how do I take it to the next level? Where can people learn more about the program? So the, the website is pretty easy. It's thespeakingprogram.com. Awesome. Before I let you go, I have one more question. And uh, it, I want someone to, I want uh, people to be able to leave here today with one action item they can do to kind of fuel their passion, to move things forward. So if you could give, if you could give one, one baby step, I guess is the best way to put it, that people can do today when they, as soon as they stop listening to this episode as to how they can fuel their passion and, and kind of uh, propel it forward. What would you, what would you give them? Well, it's kind of, and I don't want it to be like, um, let's say uh, one of those things where it's an easy answer. Like I don't want to, you know, just be a cop out answer and say, well, you know, go back to this, but I have to say probably if I'm thinking about what is the step they could take, what is the step I wish I knew whenever I was saying, where's my passion? How come I can't find it? I would say they, you know, I told you earlier, um, the process that I, they take people through, I would ask them to start that process. So to take a pen and a paper, I mean, they can obviously, a listener can, you know, sit down with a laptop or a phone or whatever they want to do. But I, I mean, I like pen and paper. I'm old school, mm -hmm. but 
take a pen and paper or whatever that means to you or looks like to you. And what I say, you know, sit down and start asking yourself those questions. You know, what is it that you would do if you didn't money was an issue? What is it that you think you'd love to do? What is it you know you're good at? What is it that people say you should be doing this to sit down and actually maybe spend a half hour with yourself making that list? And then, you know, order the list and say, what is the one that I could try first? Like, let's say you have to come up with six things. Then I would say, what is the one I think? You know, what is the one that gets me most excited? What is the one that is, out, is inside my comfort zone so I can start it today? I would say, because you want to obviously take action. You don't want to take the hardest one on the list that you're terrified of, like comedy, let's say, yeah. if that was your list. You don't want to take that one first. Get the easy one, the one that, the one that doesn't seem like it's massive. And then one go one step further, let's say that one that doesn't seem like it's massive for you. I'm just saying, going to use this as an example. Let's say you want to be a photographer and let's say that's when you're running your list. Then, you know, the massive step might be to go out for three hours, taking pictures of birds. But if you, or whatever that is that you like taking pictures of, but if you've never done it before, that might be a little intense, you know? So maybe just maybe it involves going to a Staples or a box store and asking about cameras and learning a little bit about cameras. Maybe it means signing up for a photography course and taking that first step. So the first part I would say is to spend some time with the list, figure out what it is you think you might love to do, and then go into those areas and say, what is a baby step, going back to your point, that I can take right now that'll start this journey. So that could be, like I said, looking up at local uh, courses that let's say if it was in photography or whatever the subject is, reaching out and maybe just signing up for that program. That could be your step starting now. And make sure when you take that time to set aside, I'll just add to this, that you put your phone as far away from you as possible. Like, turn it off. Like, no notifications, none of that. Be you with yourself. That way you're not distracted so you can focus intently on this. Would would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the first time I did it, I mean, we're going back 15 years, 16 years, which is not that long ago. But really, we weren't using phones like we are now. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have those disruptions. I didn't see my phone as, as something that you know, was, I, I couldn't be separated from. So I would say if I would have had the phone buzzing and ringing or even email notifications or anything interrupting that process, uh, it would have either, ta- either taken longer or I might've tapped out and just said, this isn't working. So I would agree completely. Just like if you were going to write a book, you really should find a room where nothing else is going on, or maybe even go to a cottage for a week, whatever that means to you. I think you do have to be at one with what you're writing down and be there in the moment. I mean, if this is something as big as your passion. When I mentioned, I've heard that only 5% find it their whole life. And yet the people that find it, as you and I both know, are the people that achieve at the highest levels. If it's that important, then I have to think that it's also that important to move your phone away from it. And it also should be doable to move your phone away from it so that it doesn't become the distraction. Excellent. Corey, thanks so much for joining me today on the show. A lot of valuable stuff for my listeners to take away. Uh, where can people find you online? I mean, we've already got the program in there, but where else can people find you? Like, do you have Twitter and all that stuff? Where can people find out where you're at? Yeah, sure. So probably I would say the easiest hub, let's call it, so that people can go to one place. We have thepassioncure.com. So thepassioncure.com is a website. On there, you can listen to our show. You can Uh, check out my blog. But the reason I use that as sort of the hub is because also on there, uh, you'll find TED Talk and and books and stuff like that. But also on there, you'll find all the social media links for me so that you can literally click on Facebook on the link on that page or LinkedIn or Twitter or what have you and reach out and say hi. And and it kind of all starts from there. So if you go to that hub, that's basically the best way to to learn more uh, or connect or reach out and just say hi. Awesome. Corey, thanks so much for joining me today. Awesome. It's been a pleasure, Mike. Thank you for having me. 
See, what did I tell you? It was really cool for him to go through his origin story and then to me to say, you know, there is someone else that kind of took a similar detour on the way to what they're doing now. So uh, great conversation with Corey. Of course, you can check out all of the uh, stuff we discussed in the show notes. Any of the uh, highlights or takeaways are there. And if you are a Patreon supporter, we've already aired the bonus episode. Uh, so we, we took some additional material. We sat down and talked a little bit further afterwards. And that is for the people who support the podcast. So Again, if you want to become a supporter of the show, go to patreon.com slash productivityist and contribute anything from a dollar to as high as you want. It'll help go into the show, make the show better and better. All the money that goes towards this uh, this membership goes right back to the podcast. So there you have it. And if you can't support the show in that way, then a rating or review on iTunes would really, really be helpful. I look at them all and it helps me make the show better. Big thanks to John Polster for producing the show this week. Big thanks to all of my supporters and to all of you for listening. Until next time, I am Mike Vardy, the host of the Productivities Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going.